Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Superman's not coming because we have another guest that proves Superman's not coming. And we don't have to worry about that because we are here. Navajo artist Emma Robbins is bringing tap water and solar power to hundreds of homes that never had it before. Imagine no electricity, no running water. Really? So Emma is part of of a fabulous from the insider business insider project and part of what they call the doers. And she is doing just that. She directs the Navajo water project at dig deep. And she has been out there with her team at the Navajo water project, dispatching hundreds of water storage tanks that can hold a month's worth of water to houses across the reservation And as she says, we're not just these unicorns. There are a lot of amazing people who are doing the work. And to the point, welcome to Superman's Not Coming. I'm not worried because we have people like Emma Robbins here. Emma, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm really excited and I know you know, I actually messaged you this, but it's really important to say that you are one of the reasons why I started the work that I did. And I distinctly remember learning about you through your movie in 2000 and watching it and thinking, well, she's a badass woman. And if she can do this, then somebody else can. And then later on in my life saying, well, I, I, and other women and, you know, men, anybody else can step up and do this, but you really did help me push myself to get to where I am. And I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that we're talking about such an important issue because, you know, know, and it's true. And I, you know, I'm clearly well aware of our water issues and to even have this conversation that we're having now that on the Navajo nation, that, some have never had running water is uh, where have we been? And so it's such an important topic. Can you share? I, and, you know, I guess sometimes we've got to go back to the beginning. Um, what you do and, and how you found yourself here um, with our listeners. Yeah. So, you know, 30% of Navajos living on the reservation don't have running water. And we're a huge nation. If we were a state, we would be the 10th largest. There are approximately 173,000 of us that live on the Navajo Nation. And, you know, you mentioned solar power and power in general. That's another thing that we don't have. And so, you know, not having these basic human rights in 2020 is such a huge injustice. And I grew up in the largest community on the reservation, which is called Tonanestiza uh, Navajo or Tuba City. And it actually means where the sweet water is. And we're a population of about 8,000. And I have family who lives about 30 miles away, which is where my dad is from in a community called Cameron. And most people there don't have running water. And, you know, growing up, it was something where it never really occurred to me that that was a huge issue because I think 
there were so many of us that didn't have that. And it's something where people my age, I'm 34, think, oh yeah, my grandparents don't have running water. No big deal. But yeah like when you become more of an adult and you become more aware of these things and you live off the reservation or you watch American culture on TV or movies or you see it on the internet it's like you realize that's not something that's common and it's not something that we should have to live without it's so true and it's almost sometimes even hard to hear that you grew up with that, but didn't really think anything of that. And like I said, you know, earlier, where have we been? And, and we, we'll get into all of that. But what was the turning point for you? As you said, you kind of, you grew up with that, that you saw it differently and that you needed to act. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really important to mention that, um, you know, I, my mom is Jewish. My mom's family is from Chicago and my dad is Navajo and I grew up very traditionally on the reservation. And so it's something where even to this day, I've had one foot on the reservation and one foot off the reservation. And not that I lived off the res growing up, but it was something where I would visit my grandparents in Chicago and see the huge differences there. And even then, like I said, it never occurred to me until I was about 13, Um, which is when my grandmother got stomach cancer and that was directly related to uranium that was in the soil, the air um, and the water and realizing that that anger that I felt was something that I needed to challenge to start educating others. And, you know, I always say you can't be native American and not have a connection to water. You can't have a connection, can't not have a connection to the land or water or air because we're the stewards of the environment But it's just something where it's like, in my mind, I understood the importance of it, but wanted other people to understand that too. And wanted other people to feel just as angry as I was losing one and like the matriarch of our family to something like this that could have been prevented. Yeah. You know, we're, we work with, you know, the uranium issues uh, on the nation and it is horrific and they have suffered so much. And, you know, it, it disturbs me greatly. And I, I'm really interested in your take. I mean, why is it in your perception that we either haven't dealt with the uranium problems or why is it that we're not looking at your water issues? Again, you know, we talk about what makes a first nation, a world nation, and it it is our infrastructure and our running water that you don't have that. And that we're even seeing it now play itself out through the U.S. From your perspective and and dealing with, and I'm sorry, the loss of your grandmother and the uranium problem is an issue out on the reservation. And then on top of that, you know, the water issue and the scarcity of water and not having any water and the infrastructures, where have we gone wrong? I always say that, everything that goes on on a reservation can be rooted back to broken treaties, right? Like hundreds of treaties over the past hundreds of years have been signed between native nations and the federal government. Every single one of those treaties has been broken and somehow water or land or infrastructure or uranium, whatever it is, is linked to that. And so I'd say it's a problem that's been going on since, you know, the United States became what is known as the United States. And, Oftentimes, indigenous peoples are pushed to the back burner. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when we think about uranium mines and lack of running water and lack of electricity and a huge issue now that we're seeing in 2020, which is lack of internet connectivity, there are all these big things that affect us every day, those of us who are on the reservation. But because we're pushed to the back burner, we're pushed to the side, people don't think it's an issue. It's something where, as always, it's like, well, that's not my problem. That's my that's not my neighborhood. Why would I worry about that? But it's something where it's like, you know, I meet people in Arizona being from the Arizona side of the reservation and they'll say, Oh, I didn't realize this was a problem. And they live half an hour away from the reservation. And it's like, yeah, it's lack of education and visibility. And it's also this otherization where people think, Oh, the poor Indian. And like, you know, they're struggling so much, but it's like, what are you actually going to do about it? Aside from seeing it from an abject perspective of, one, that's not my problem. Two, oh gosh, that is really horrible. Three, oh, do Native Americans even exist? Four, all right, what do I need to do about it now? And I think you need to get angry about it, number mm-hmm. one. And right. that's going to lead you to do something else. You know, you really bring up such valid points. And, and environmental racism is is alive and well. And I don't know if we do or don't want to acknowledge that. And I, I see firsthand these communities I work with that the oppression and the suppression that goes on and uh, I've experienced it at different levels um, because I'm not this or that or a scientist or this or that. When I come into some community, it's like, you know, what do you know? And it's like, I don't really need to be any of that to be a human. And what I worry about and what I'm so glad we're talking about, and I'm so glad Business Insider picked this up and sees you as a doer and that you rose up, is you're right. There needs to be a bigger platform where you can be seen. And I, and that doesn't mean, you know, in the way of, oh, be seen, but be heard and be seen on an issue because knowledge is power. And oftentimes we get busy in our life and we don't see what's going on there or we don't want to see what's going on there because it hurts to see it. But to take our anger and turn it into action and create that platform. And that's something that you've done. And I say this all the time, it will take the people to rise. It will become that movement. And oftentimes we're afraid to be the first one to take the step that you took. So you have great courage, courage. And you have what my mom taught me is stick to itiveness. <laughs> it's my favorite word ever. Propensity to follow through in a determined manner. Dogged persistence born of obligation and stubbornness. And we have to have this self journey and self discovery and find that voice within ourselves of courage and stick to itiveness um, to rise up and speak out. And it's frustrating for me because as this plays out in this entire country, why or how it is we still aren't going to see it. Now, I do think that we are in a groundbreaking moment, and I don't know as horrible as COVID has been. If it was a push on us that shut us down, that we could finally see or breathe or stop and notice what is happening. And so you've felt all of that. 
and you rose through it and above it and beyond it. What were you thinking and feeling? And it's so important for other people, you know, to be able to see you and go, I can be her. I am her. I'm going to join forces with her. What, what was you, what was your experience as you were going through that? You know, I could share mine and I don't want to hear about mine today. I want to know about you that you were thinking and feeling that gave you that courage to, to be where you are now. I totally agree with everything you said. And I think it's always been understanding, you know, first of all, being Navajo and being Diné and coming from a matriarchal culture, it's something that I've constantly been taught, like as the oldest daughter of four. And as a woman, it's a really sacred, beautiful role that you have to lead your community and to take care of your community. And I always say this, not in some sort of weird, twisted, stay in the kitchen, 60s way, like you have to be a homemaker, it's something where it's like it, you are born into this and it's something that you need to do because you're the care you're the caretaker and you need to make sure that people are getting what they need if that's something like water or if it's something like encouragement or love whatever it may be whether that's during a global pandemic or during everyday non-pandemic times it's something mm-hmm. to step up and do and i'd say My family really pushed me and I was really fortunate to have that support system. Um, I think I hit a certain point in my life where I realized like as a Native American, I don't want to be quiet anymore. You know, seeing other women and other individuals who stepped up and did things really pushed me because it got to a point where I started to feel uncomfortable, like constantly like I was the person raising my hand and saying, excuse me, what about Native Americans? Or what about Navajos? Or what about water issues? And I felt like I was pestering people. But then I hit a point where I was like, I'm going to be unapologetically Native. And I'm going to be unapologetically <laughs> like loudmouth. Because I think that's how we get where we are is by speaking up. You know, oftentimes, yeah. yeah, as women too, we step back and we feel shy and we apologize. Because like you, I don't have a background in water. You know, my background... Mm-hmm is in the arts and in community organizing, but I have had to Google the hell out of things like, you know, the simplest things like MCLs to PFAS to uranium to radon, like (laughs) things like this, thank God for the internet, you know? And I think everybody has such an important role in the fight and the struggle and the solutions, because whether that is sharing information on your social media or speaking up, or writing op-eds or whatever it is, we all play a part in the solutions that are happening now. And I think for me, it took a little while to figure out where my part was. And, you know, I think eventually I realized, yes, that was leading the Navajo Water Project. Yes, that was taking my art to educate people about issues. But I was just so fortunate to have such a a family, like such a strong family background that pushed me. And, you know, I'd say today, like, I really never talk about him and I really do want to give him a shout out because my partner is someone who is always helping me understand how to even talk about things or, you know, as someone who's an ally and an accomplice in my life, it's like figuring out like, well, how do I approach these things from a way that I can educate people about this? And I believe in 2020, we've hit a point in our culture, especially the flip side of the internet, which I think is so great, is where it's constant shaming. And shaming does need to happen from time to time. But I think Mm -hmm. 
with that needs to come a call to action and education as well, because, you know, like you said, when you arm yourself with knowledge, you're going to know what you're up against and you're going to have these great tools. And so I think he's been really great at helping me with that too. And he also does things like when I'm out in the field, takes care of the dogs or takes care of the house, or, you know, if we're delivering water or doing whatever projects. And then also if I'm on like, you know, the non-glamorous, like ordering PVC part moments and I can't get up from my desk, he's like bringing food. So I'd say there are just so many people who are able to support me to be able to help others and collaborate with others. It's not just about this like saviorism mechanism of coming in. It's also like, how do we actually work together? So um, it's been a pretty interesting journey. And I'd say it's just, it's really important to just not be apologetic. Like I said, for me, And so many people feel that way. You know, I, I felt that way so many times in my life. I've always been the underdog. I have dyslexia. And, you know, we put labels and perceptions and negativity and ideas and judgments. And, 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 and I don't know why we do it. I don't like it. I can tell you don't like it. None of us really like it. And we let that negativity or that idea, you know, it's like my mom always told me, just because someone else may choose to see you, Aaron, as a loser. It doesn't have to be your perception of yourself. And it takes a moment for us to get there and go, I'm done with this. My moment was Hinkley when I'm looking at two-headed frogs and green water and all the trees dying and all the animals covered in tumors. And I just bubbled up inside of me. It becomes a calling. It's deep. It's visceral. It's guttural. And you're like, this is enough. And it's obvious listening to you that that's the moment where you got and how we become either comfortable or complacent. And you bring up something so important. It's almost a fear. And I was giggling when you're saying like, you know, raise your hand because nobody ever wants to raise their hand in a room and be the person that's wrong. Right. But at some point, We have to learn not to be afraid to be wrong. What? So what if you're wrong? But what if you're right? And you exemplify all of that. I'm fascinated listening to you. And what was it like? I mean, so what was the first step that you took to start getting the water to the communities? You know, this takes money and, and fundraising, where was that initial step you took? And then I want to talk about once you took it and got there, what it was like for the families and, and the experience you saw to see the water um, being yeah. delivered and coming out the tap. Yeah, no, I, I, again, totally agree with everything you're saying. I'm like over here nodding. <laughs> I see, yeah, I, I get the luxury of yeah. seeing you. Yeah. So for everybody that's listening, I can tell you, Emma obviously is beautiful on the inside, but she is just as beautiful on the outside. So I wish you could all see her. Thank you for that. Well, you know, I mean, so, you know, Dig Deep is a human rights organization that was started by our founder and now Dig Dig Deep. Uh Dig Deep. Yeah. George McGraw. And I had read an article about the budding Navajo water project, which was in its very early stages um, in 2016, excuse me, I read about it in 2015. And I, had reached out to dig deep. And I said, you know, I have these connections on the reservation and 
I live in Chicago. I'm not in LA where y'all are based. I'm not on the reservation where the project will be based. Um, but I'd like to talk to you about helping. And it was something where it was like this cold call and I wasn't expecting anything back. And it was just sort of like, you know, I'm coming at it from a volunteer basis. And George and at the time, Tawny, the only other employee of Dig Deep, got back to me and they were like, hey, like you have such a cool background. Why don't we just hop on a phone call? So, you know, we talked and then eventually... I remember there was literally this moment where I was sitting during um, during at, sitting at dinner during the Miami Art Fair week, you know, when it's Basel and all of that in December, and they reached out to me, Tony and George, and were like, "Actually, would you like to come to LA and meet with us in person?" And I was like so bored at this dinner, and I was so excited by this email. <laughs> So excited. I was like, yes. Like I remember I'm looking so at bored at this dinner. Get me out of here. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, sorry to anybody who was at that dinner. And if you're listening to this, this is um, sorry, not sorry, but you know, I think it was just something where I felt like kind of these planets aligned and I had never been to LA. And so I flew out here, you know, on my own dime and just met with them and they were like, you know, Hey, we have like a position coming up and maybe you'd be interested in applying. And at that point, It was like, well, do I want to leave the art world? Do I want to leave these years of career? Um, Yes, I totally do. Like in the back of my mind thinking that. And so several months later went by and I ended up getting offered the job and I moved out here and I was the first employee of the Navajo Water Project. And we had installed one prototype of what we call home water systems, which are the off-grid cistern systems Mm -hmm. that get families running water, um, both cold and hot water. And it was like really amazing to come in with the Navajo lens and having the information that I did because now we've done almost 300 of these home water. Yeah, I was going to ask, how many have you done? 300 homes. Yeah, almost 300. Um, And, you know, more than half of those are homes that didn't have electricity. And so in my tenure, we had to figure out how to modify a system because for the families who had electricity, they could get a pump and a water heater. For families who didn't, what were we going to do to actually bring in the water into the home? And so um, we worked with people who had solar backgrounds. And so we came up with a system that we could help people who didn't have electricity because we shouldn't say, no, you don't have electricity. You're not going to get water. Um, And we expanded from one small town to now working in what we call chapters, which are our local government, like the split of the Navajo Nation in several chapters. Um, But we've expanded from New Mexico to Arizona and Utah. Yeah, it's I mean, that's a huge part of my job is um, communicating with new project partners, because it's always important to me that we have a project partner. We need to make sure that we're not just being consentful, but we're being collaborative and listening Correct. to these needs. Yeah. Because I, I work with a lot of people in the water world who come from international backgrounds and they seem to think that these solutions that worked in sub-Saharan South Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, excuse me, are going to work on reservations. And it's like, no, we're completely different just like communities across the reservations are different. So once I got started in that, I was really intimidated at the beginning. You know, I didn't know a lot about water parts or the technical sides behind it. Um, And my favorite part was being back home on the reservation. And when I was working with people and seeing the reactions of getting running water and hearing people's stories, it made me realize I made the right decision by leaving the gallery world and being here. And I'll say, that my dad especially was really helpful because my dad works in sort of a, sort of a similar field with natural resources. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And he was just like, he's like one of my biggest fans, which means a lot because um, I live with him when I'm on the reservation and I haven't seen him in a month and a half because COVID rates are so high. Um, yes. Yeah. But it was, that's, that's, I mean, that's how I got started. And I'm really proud to say that we're now a staff of almost 20 people, myself included. And it's not just about bringing running water to people, but also about creating jobs that are high paying jobs for the reservation um, and getting people things like health insurance and making sure that we're not only taking care of the residents and clients that we're serving, but that we're also taking care of our own Dineh people and our own Dineh employees. Yeah, you know, that is so important. And when you get on the ground, see, I call it boots on the ground. I'll call it a foot soldier, if you will. That's where I like to be because that's where you learn the most and understand the most. And in all the communities I've worked in, it's a matter of reestablishing trust. And, you know, that's a that's a really big word. And when it's gone, it's really hard to get it back. And I've always believed that we as the people need a seat at the table and you have to bring the community in and listen to what their needs are and their experiences, because you're right, it could be different. Um, for every water situation and well water and municipality and the people is different. And I think that's a really valid point that, that you bring that together. And it is, it's always about the people. And I've worried for a really long time that when we disconnect from the environment, we disconnect from ourselves and we've done that. And I'm hopeful that we're going to come back to that connection again for all of us is the water is our land is our family and it is our health. That's the one thing that I was taught by my father. And that's the one thing at the end of the day, when we all go and we all will, that matters the most, our land, our water, our family, our health. And now for me, as I've gotten older, six day with four grandchildren, it's looking at the legacy that we leave for the next generations. And here you are up and rising. I just think that you're going to be such an amazing influence. Thank you. And and teacher. No, I appreciate that. So giving up, um, Tell us a little bit about your art and your gallery um, and how hard was that for, for you to make, you know, you, you've, you've made a sacrifice in, in a way. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely really hard. I mean, you know, I, when I was living in Chicago, one of the reasons why I went to school there specifically was because I helped take care of my grandparents on my mom's side. Um, my grandmother had Parkinson's and she had a series of strokes and she needed some assistance, you know, not only medically, but also, which I, I mean, I wasn't able to provide medical attention, you know, help her out with the day, right. but also emotionally for both her and my grandfather. And I was really close to them. Um, and, you know, it was something where that was probably the hardest sacrifice was leaving them in Chicago to come to the West coast and to be on the reservation, uh, we're still very close. I, again, haven't seen them since February because of COVID. I used to see them once a month. Um, in terms of art, it was really hard because it was sort of this like weirdly glamorous, I'm using quotation marks right now, glamorous. <laughs> yeah, I see it. Yeah, <laughs> I you see it. The quotes, I got the you. Quotes. Yeah, the quotes. Um, but it was something where it's like, you know, it was hard to leave 
my comfort zone and to get into this. But again, like I said, I'm really glad that I did. And my personal studio practice, being an artist myself and leaving, being a gallery director, but coming into myself and saying like, this is the art that I want to make to educate people about, Mm -hmm. you know, like again, talking about treaties or clean water or the missing and murdered indigenous women crisis. And really bringing that to people in a visual way, because as humans, we're visual learners, or most of us are. Very much so. Yes. Ding, yes. ding, ding. I, I've learned that too. I'm very visual, but I've learned most of us are really visual. Oh, it makes sure. a big difference. For sure. Although I will say podcasts like this are very helpful for me. So there's some audio to it um, in terms of learning. But, you know, it's something where it also really pushed me to do things like more community organization in the arts. I have a new nonprofit that I started on my own, which is called the Chapter House. And again, I talked about, you know, these local governments called chapters and Uh these local governments has what is called a chapter house. And it's sort of a community center and people come together and have things ranging from parties and bazaars and cultural events to things like funerals and meetings and government Mm -hmm. events. So it was a really great way for me to combine the human rights work that I was doing with communities with water and then also my own arts. And so coming up with this space of saying, we're going to hold um, arts programs and exhibitions, but we're also going to have programming about it where, excuse me, around it, where we're educating people about issues. And so mm-hmm. one of those things is water that we need to teach people about. And again, visually, and not just through my own art making, but saying, let's have these discussions where we're going to talk about this, not only with our native sisters and brothers, but also with our allies and accomplices, because mm-hmm. it's also really important to have that support. Um, but it's, it's definitely been a really cool journey. And it's something where specifically with the chapter house, you know, we're supposed to be a brick and mortar space, but during COVID everything's online. Right. But, but we can still connect how nice I can see you right now and, I know. Um, and, and still keep pushing forward. You know, you, you bring up something so important and I think so many of us and I've learned look for permission, but what we're really missing is support and what you've been able to do and getting down there on the ground and creating these chapter houses is a place, whether it's about water or solar or the arts or the culture or what's been lost is a place to support and be together. And that makes such a difference and hold each other up. And I, yeah. she's nodding, people. Sis, I I'm can nodding. See her nodding. We're just looking at each other, <laughs> nodding our heads. Yeah. I just want to ask you something, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but no. uh, something about, you know, I never like to talk politics because especially when it's anything like this, for me, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's a human issue. It's all of our issues. Mm-hmm. What do you see that needs to change as with as policies or something legislatively or even within your own nation? What's got to change and how do you see getting there and how can any of us or anyone listening acknowledge this and, and help get that change made? 
I'd say the very first place to start, and I mentioned this earlier, is with treaties, right? Like understanding what these documents that are legal documents that were signed between two nations, you know, whether that's one tribal government or one tribal group with the federal government, reading those and educating ourselves, no matter who you are in the United States or in the world, because I can guarantee there's some sort of treaty with an indigenous group in your local government or your federal government. Um, But reading these, I know that Oklahoma State University, I always like pimp this out here, but Oklahoma State University has digitized all of the treaties in the United States. And so once we read that like very base layer of what our rights should be, that's when we know whether you're Native American or not, you know, you say like, well, look, you were supposed to put this infrastructure in and I'm going to hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. And I know that I can hold you accountable because I'm reading this document, which is the very root of everything here. Um, you know, for non-tribal nations looking into if there are any documents with different groups, you know, whether that's like deeds or um, more, you know, things like water quality reports and did somebody say, we're going to fix this infrastructure, whether it's something as simple as, well, you know, there's lead in the pipe. So this plumbing is X amount of years old and we need to switch this out now, like understanding what your rights are. And so really right in the background. Yeah. And then also, um, holding our governments accountable because I think it's not just about federal governments, you know, these past few months, we've only been talking about federal elections. What about your local elections? Absolutely. That's what I was going to ask you next. It's, it is really important. I'm so glad you brought it up because while you're talking federally, then, then there's a next level within the states. You know, what is going on in Utah or New Mexico or Arizona? Now, Oklahoma is, I, I'm familiar with Oklahoma. Um, I spent my summers as a child in Oklahoma. My mom's from Ponca City. So I'd spend every Saturday down with her, um, down on the nations. I work with the Ponca Nation. And so they've got some things accessible, as you were talking about, that that even at a state level, do they have or even right down to that microscopic level and that not to get off track, because I could so easily do that and just chat with you forever. I, too, try to teach. And it's some instances it's almost more important than that federal oversight. 100%. I totally agree with you. And I think that's why you need to also research that. Like, what do these measures mean? Or what did this judge vote for or vote against? Or what did they rule against rather? Like there are all these different things where it's like, and I've actually heard you say this and I agree 100% is go to your city council. If you live in- Oh yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, how do you think LA changed Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day? Or how is it that we decided to divest from these crooked banks like Wells Fargo? How is it that these different things happened? It's because people went to city council instead Mm -hmm. of- all right, I have my 60 seconds, I'm going to say something, you know, I think I totally agree with you that federal elections are important. And yes, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a new plan for tribal mm-hmm. initiatives. I, I would love to see us as people push them as well and say, please make this happen, you know, and we should though, yeah. I, th- this is where we have a duty as well yeah. to hold them accountable. You're 100% right. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just like, Again, where is your place in that? Do you have the time to go to a city council meeting? Can you dial in on Zoom? Can you look at the minutes afterwards? Or can you find out what petitions are out there and post them? Because no matter how small the action is, it all adds up to such a big thing. 
100%. I tell people all the time, we can't assume, right? I don't know if we've all assumed something for so long or we bought an illusion or a false sense of security or comfortability or complacency. And it really doesn't matter if we did. I think, as I've said earlier, it's okay. Whatever we did then may have worked to get us where we are today, but where we are today and moving forward, we're going to have to change a lot. And that's antiquated laws and policies and ideas and make those reforms and bring on those challenges. And it will come. I believe the people will now, the consumer, we the people, will become the regulators. And we will make it our duty and we will make it our business. And not assume that your own city council is reading your mind and knows what's going on. And oftentimes, until you show up, they don't. And so that makes such a difference. And I visualize, again, I'm so visual as, as you are. What if every, you know, chapter house that you have in every state and in every city council, in every community, in every state, by all 50 states and lit that up across the board, we'd actually affect change. But it will take all of us on the same page to ultimately get there. And one thing that we do need to do, as I said, hold our elected leaders accountable. That is our obligation. And they need good follow through. They, they need good stick to And I don't know that they always have that. And if they don't follow through, but when they don't, they need to know from we the people. We'll be here to make sure you do. And that's up to us. Exactly. They work for us. That's literally how it is. It's like from the bottom up. And I totally agree with you. And it's something that I strongly believe in is one person can do something. Many people together can do a lot. And it's just so important. Again, like I get back to this idea of allyship and accomplices working together because that's how we're going to get things going. And I totally agree with you. I'm all about holding people accountable and saying, well, okay, like in 2020, you campaigned on this. So are you going to come back with this? Mm-hmm. And make make good with what you promised, you know? Right. And we need to hold ourselves accountable. I always say, take a look at that person in the mirror. And you're not always really mad at someone else. Who you're really like maybe frustrated with is yourself. And um, I embrace flaws and I embrace our vulnerabilities and I embrace or own my own anger. Because when you do, there's more acceptance and forgiveness and you find that voice and courage and you'll come out and make make the change like you are. So again, we could talk forever and I know we had like 45 minutes there. Are there websites uh, that you can, can give us where we can go and, and get involved with you as well? Yes, please. Um, well, first and foremost, check out our website, dig deep water, mm-hmm. dig deep. Dig deep water. Um, our website is digdeep.org. Again, digdeep.org. Is it one G or two? Dig, dig, D-I-G. D-I-G, yep. And then you can learn about our work across the United States there because we're just a domestic organization. You know, we work fully in the U.S. because we felt that there wasn't enough water attention and water projects here. And to check You out- got that right. Yep, amen. You were right, spot on. Yep. Um, and so if you want to check out the Navajo Water Project, which I run- Right. Navajo Water Project, Navajo okay. with a J, 
dot yes. okay uh, yeah and if anybody wants to learn more about my artwork it's emma e-m-m-a robbins r-o-b-b-i-n-s dot com and then the chapter house is the chapter dot o-r-g okay so those those are four great locations and, and i'll i'll bring them up again uh here at the end you know, I want to close. You said you've gotten to 300 homes. How many are there that need the water and the infrastructure and the solar? You've got 300. How many more do you have to go? Oh my gosh, Aaron, so many more. And I'm here for it. And our bad A team, I won't cuss on here. Our bad A team is here for it. Gosh, I love you even more. You you say a bad word. I get in trouble all the time for an F-bomb. I try to mind my manners, Emma. Oh, same, same. But many more homes, and we're all here for it. You know, I think another big problem on reservations is data collection, right? So we know that the number 30% is there. Yeah, you know this. Oh, my gosh. It's something where, you know, 30% is almost 50,000 people of those who need running water. And the Navajo Nation is doing such amazing work. The Navajo Tribal Utility is doing such amazing work. And I really want to give a shout out to this one group that I have been working with during COVID, which is the Water Access Coordination Group. And it's a group of 20 plus entities. And this includes Indian Health Service, the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority, the tribal government, different universities, Um, and other nonprofits that have come together because COVID brought us together, but solving the lack of running water is what's going to keep us together. Mm -hmm. All of us have said, where are we going to fit into this puzzle and what solution are we going to take on? And the Navajo Water Project is just a tiny drop in that. I always use these cheesy water analogies, but we are just a tiny drop and all of those drops coming together are solving it. So Many more homes, but I'm really confident that when everybody takes their little bit and they work on that problem and implement that solution, that it won't just be us or it won't just be me or it won't just be my team, but there are so many of us who are going to help everybody on the Navajo Nation get running water and electricity. I love what you just said because I say it, but in a different way, but it's like we're so in sync there. We forget we are water. We are water. And when I get lost, Emma, I go to water. And you know, water has an individual fingerprint, just like us. And water has resiliency and strength and fortitude. And when one river and one creek and one tributary converge together, they're a huge force that massive Niagara Falls moment. And I think, oh my gosh, water carves hills and valleys. It can cut and change coastal landforms. When we as individuals, because we are water and collectively, we can do the same. And I love what you just said about each one drop. Oh my gosh. It's, uh, we, we can't forget we are water. That is life. And to destroy it otherwise does nothing but destroy ourselves. And with you, I, I feel more hopeful. And I want you to know in any way, shape, or form that I or who we work with together can join forces with you. You can count on that. And what a true, true, true pleasure it has been for me to have you on today. I want everybody to hear this and know that that hope, that inspiration that Emma has, that 
lies and resides within you too. And to join and help her and join to help save our water and together we'll make the future a better place. Amen. Amen. Emma, you're great. Likewise, Aaron. And I'll, I'll always say like what you just said about going to water when you need to reconnect. That's what, you know, traditionally Navajos believe in what my dad always taught my sisters and me is when you feel like you need to reconnect, you need to go to a body of water and make an offering, you know, whether that be corn pollen or your prairie or whatever it is, you know, it's something where it really helps you reconnect. And I think always having lived near like Lake Michigan and Chicago or now mm-hmm. closer to the Pacific, it's something that I have to do frequently, like all yeah. the time, you know? Yeah. yeah. I grew up in the, in the creeks and, and we do, we do really forget we are water. What our brains are like, what, 93% water and lungs, 83% and bodies. And let, hello, it's, we are water. Every living being species is. Yeah. No, it's, it's really, as I like, look at my water right here, you know? Yes. <laughs> Should we go? Where's the water from? Emma? Um, I know. <laughs> that's always kind of a joke for me. You know, ever since the movie came out, people would give me bottled water and I'm like, is there something wrong through tap water? <laughs> I know. I know. So. It's, it's definitely something like where we have a Berkey filter here, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I read our water quality report and it's kind of like, it still leaves a lot of residue. I don't fully trust it. I mean, you know, it's like when you grow up with bad water, you're kind of always like one eye open when you're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, I know we talked about the book Superman's Not Coming and a lot of the MCLs and everything that you're talking about and the filters and everything is, is in there. And, you know, I, I do want us all to know as we close that you don't have to have a science degree or a PhD to care about water, to get curious about water, to understand water and get involved. And so I hope that we will all become more hands-on and, and learn through you and just that moment where you said enough is enough. And you threw the fear out the door and brought in the courage and here you are today. Well, you too. I mean, obviously, again, like I said, you have played such a huge role in my life. I well, like thank you. my dinner the other night when I saw that you had tweeted. I was like, oh, oh my God, I don't even know how to use Twitter. Barely. <laughs> Each is the accent I was. I'm like, it's a get back to me. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I will see you again in our Paths will cross again, and we will be a collaborative effort to help make a difference um, in the Navajo Nation and getting people the water that they're entitled to. And I am, I am again, I, I stop and I think it's just, it's here it is 2020, and, and we even have places where people don't have fresh, clean running water. Blows my mind that has to change and with you on board and we'll join forces we'll get there to make sure that everybody does yes i'm flexing my muscle to see that i'm agreeing girl power yes thank you so much emma yeah likewise i um i'm looking forward to staying in touch aaron thank you so much we will we will be staying in touch and and everybody listening honestly um emma robbins you're you're fabulous thank you an inspiration and um i'm so glad you're here what a gift thank you you take care you too see you soon bye
Bye. So please, to learn more about the work that Emma does, you can go to several locations and get involved yourself. www.digdeep.org or www.navajowaterproject.org to check out Emma's creativity in her artisanship. You can go to www.emmarobbins.com and also take a look at www.thechapterhouse.org. She says so many things that are spot on. And for us to rise up, for us to get involved, to get involved at that local level and move up from there, uh, rid yourself of your fear, find yourself that courage we can make a difference. Thanks for being here today.